1: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from
0: HowStuffWorks.com.
3: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chucky Bryant, and there's Jerry, uh, the delicious dish (laughs) rolling. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the vintage nostalgia edition that went off to China and then got sold to a different company edition.
1: So do you want to, I have a rough list of classic toys we've covered. You want to hear
3: it? Oh, lay it on me, Charles.
1: I'm sure I've missed something, but it did help me think of some more that we should do. Uh, Slinky? Mm
3: -hmm. We did Slinky? Oh yeah, we did Slinky, (laughs) okay, yeah.
1: Uh, Lego? Oh yeah, of course. Barbie? Sure. Her boyfriend, G.I. Joe?
3: Yeah, that was a good one. Sorry, Ken. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Did we just specifically do a GI Joe one or an action figures one?
1: I think both. We definitely did action oh. figures, although right. maybe not. Okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll cross check
3: that. Hot Wheels. So, so this is a made up list, is what you're saying? <laughs> hot Wheels. Easy yeah, bake. Yeah, I'm o- glad you didn't. You didn't call it Hot Wheels. <laughs> uh, easy bake oven. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Play dough. <laughs> Silly putty. Right. Do you count boomerangs? Eh, sure. Do you count Monopoly? Yeah. Yo-yos? Of course. Hula hoops?
3: I, w- I knew hula hoops was after yo-yos. I just knew it.
1: Uh, Teddy Ruxpin, we-, we covered him in our Christmas show this year.
3: Oh, yeah, that's a deep cut right there.
1: And then I th- that's all I have, but um, I could have sworn we did it on Frisbees, but I, I cannot find it.
3: Yeah, I feel like we did Frisbees, too, because I think we talked about, like, Frolf or something at some point.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's out there, and I just uh, didn't—or maybe it's under Flying Disc or something.
3: (laughs) Oh, that's possible. Uh, Because, yeah, yeah. we made that joke about calling it a novelty Flying Disc because Frisbee, like, used to sue everybody who called anything else a Frisbee.
1: Maybe. I'll have to look. But there's probably more out there, but that's a solid, you know, 12 or 13. That's pretty good. Which leads us to Etch-A-Sketch.
3: Yes. One of the hundred top 100 toys of the century, according to, um, I want to say, not the Toy Hall of Fame. It's just in the Toy Hall of Fame. I think according uh, to
1: some snot-nosed kid who makes
3: lists online. Right. Uh, This is the 100 best toys of the century. (laughs) This is the 100 best guitar solos of the 70s. (laughs) Oh, man. I'd love to do a show on that. That would be pretty cool. I can't remember who named that that who made that list, but it's a high honor. It's a high accolade, even if we can't remember who came up with it. Like the etch a sketch, it's a ubiquitous toy. Everybody knows what an etch a sketch is, unless you go to France and then they'll say, "Oh, you mean la Croix magique?" (laughs) Right. And you you might say, "Like, well, why would they have anything to say about the etch a sketch in France?" Turns out, buddy, the etch a sketch is actually French in origin. Did you know that before this? I did not. I didn't either. Because it seems
1: like super American, you know. It looks like a TV, and just feels like pure Americana. Mm-hmm. So when I realized it had some French stank on it, uh, <laughs> my dreams were dashed.
3: <laughs> You're like, it smells like champagne and cheese, <laughs> which is kind of pleasant. No, I didn't really care. I thought it was. I thought it was great.
1: Sketch, erase, and sketch again. Uh, the the log line that will forever be tied to this. Really interesting little toy, and um, I, I can't remember who it is in this article, but so they were interviewing different folks. I think it was someone from the company mm-hmm. commented, and I totally agree that like it's amazing that today in, in the digital world and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and video gaming as it is, that this little um, lo-fi toy that mm-hmm. doesn't even have batteries in it, much less mm-hmm. hook up to the Internet, is still, like, super popular and still has a little bit of mystique. And I agree with them, and I think the reason why one of them is, like, you look at it and you're still kind of like, how does this thing work?
3: Right. Well, we're going to ruin that mystique for everybody because we're going to explain how it works, actually, in this episode. (laughs) That's right. But hopefully it won't affect Etch-a-Sketch sales because we love Etch-a-Sketch, you know? All right. Should we go to France? We will go to France sometime. It's apparently not clear whether it was 1955 or 1956. But in a little town called Vitry sur Seine, which means Vitry on the Seine River, there was a company called, um, uh, what was the name of the company, Chuck? Uh, Lincrusta L- Company. Right. Terrible okay. name. It is a terrible name, but the reason they call themselves that is because Crusta is a type of wall covering that was really popular in the 19th and early 20th centuries. You know, like, have you ever been into an old, creepy, abandoned house and, like, the walls are covered in what looks like dimpled tin with, like, some weird patterns to it or whatever?
2: Mm,
3: No, but keep going. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so where it, if you you could rub your hand over, it, it's very much it's like heavily embossed. Okay, sometimes it's painted, and it's it just imagine that is like wainscoting in the house. That is Lincresta, and so that is one of the two things that this company made in the fifties: Lincrusta wall coverings and artificial leather. That. S- it's really neither here nor there, but I, could, I was with you. I was like, what kind of a name is that for a company? I looked it up, and they just – it'd basically be like if you and I called our podcast Podcast, because that's what we did was make podcasts. Or called that's it Podcrust.
1: <laughs> Podcrusta. <laughs> just the name Crust, anyway. I think I know that's what you're talking a- about because I have uh, – uh, we have a PiSafe. That mm-hmm. has that metal mm-hmm. tin stuff, but it's—I've uh, never seen it on a wall, but I bet it's about the same
3: thing, virtually the same thing. Yeah, yep. Okay, so that's crusta and that's where this guy worked. His name was Andre Casagnes. Casagnes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. What are you G- going with?
1: Well, if it's French, wouldn't it be La uh, Casson?
3: <laughs> Is oh, that G pronounced? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. Actually,
1: Andre Casson. Well, that's what we're going to call them. And we have gone back in time. You, you didn't know 55 or 56. I say we go to 54 just to okay. play it safe, set up shop in France, and maybe get some emails okay. done. All right. <laughs> For a couple of years? Sure. Why not? We could use a break. Okay. Because, um, you know, podcaster burnout's a real thing.
3: <laughs> it really is. <laughs> As we've talked They're, about. We're dropping, we're
1: dropping like flies. Uh, all right. So he's working in this factory. It's uh, north of Paris. And they are making these uh, wall coverings like you're talking about, and he this is a little confusing how this actually happens if you yes, ask it me is. or at least yeah, the way no, the is. the first article put it it's confusing.
3: Oh oh, you're leaving it to me I noticed by your by your pause after that. well, I mean,
1: no let, let's I'll, I'll start it, but I just still don't quite get it. He marked up uh, with pencil on mm-hmm. a a see-through decal so like he was putting on an electrical plate um, mm-hmm. like a light switch and on that plate like many things has like a little see-through plastic that you peel off right um, so he was riding on that he peeled it off but then that's where it loses me as to exactly what magic took place
3: so, okay, remember, this is link and they make metal wall coverings, which means there's metal dust in the air, metal shavings everywhere. Yeah, and he's and just breathing that stuff in. Right, all of them are. Um, what's crazy is this guy made it to that ripe old age of 86 after yeah. breathing that for years. But, um so there's there's metal dust everywhere, including on this electrical switch plate that he's installing. And I guess the decal ag- against the plate. And I think what happened was when he marked on the decal uh-huh. and pulled the decal off, he'd seen that he had disturbed the metal shavings that were stuck to the underside of the decal. Oh. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So like he... He had disturbed the shape. So, so, there was like, the whole decal is coated in a, a metal dust. Uh-huh. He marks on it with a pencil, and the impression that he makes, like, gouges out lines on the backside <laughs> of the decal. I know, it's really tough. It was magic. Basically, this man witnessed this, a, a feat <laughs> of magic that still cannot be explained to this day, and that's where he got his idea for the uh, Etch-A-Sketch.
1: Amazing. So a big, big moment. He has the, that literal light bulb that goes off of his, uh, or not literal, of course, light bulb above <laughs> his head. Although you never know. There may have been a light bulb in that factory right above his head. Why not? Uh, and he said, all right, this, is, uh, this, this can be something. He, however, did not have a lot of money to uh, sink into this weird idea and so he had to partner with somebody with money, a man named mm. Paul Chase, C H A Z E, or maybe Shaw's if he's French. Oh, that's good. Uh, and this guy had some dough because he owned a plastic injection molding company. And this I is wonder,
3: like early on.
1: I wonder if we could count that as a toy the, uh, the, the little plastic uh, machines that spit out little plastic guitars in Chicago and at zoos. Oh,
3: yes. yes Moldorama. Moldorama. That Does would that definitely count. count.
1: Yeah, that goes on the list, yeah. So he didn't—it wasn't Moldorama, but it was plastic injection molding that this guy made his Mm -hmm. money from. Uh, And this is where things get a little confusing historically because uh, the man who—his accountant, his name was Arthur Grangin.
3: You are nailing the French today. (laughs) Try to run, French people. You can't. Chuck (laughs) is pronouncing your words just beautifully. So his accountant uh,
1: is actually given credit a lot of times because— he filed the patent uh, under uh, his name, which I'm curious about how that works legally.
3: Uh, He, So he was, do you remember the first time we did South by Southwest? And on the sign, it it had like somebody, I can't remember whose name it was, but whoever had like filed the application to get us into South by Southwest, it said that like that's who was performing in the room that day. I don't remember that at all. I think this is the same – basically the same thing where as like the U.S. government bureaucracy, the patent and um, trademark office basically said whoever's name is on there, that is who is the patent holder. And since um, Grandjean, who was the accountant of Shays, who was the partner of Kessian's – Um, (laughs) since he was the one who actually filled out the application and paid for the application for the patent, as far as the government was concerned, he was the, the person who patented the Etch-a-Sketch in the United States. Even though Grandjean made no claim on it whatsoever, immediately transferred the title over to Shays, he, he's, for, for decades, everybody thought Arthur Grandjean was the guy who invented the Etch-a-Sketch. Interesting.
1: All right. So that was July 23rd, 1959 was when this patent was granted, and um, I guess we should just look at the the little guy itself, the little TV looking that iconic red frame with the two mm-hmm. dials, uh, which it didn't have initially we'll, we'll get to that, but um, the underside of this screen here has what's known in the patent as a pole virulent material such as aluminum Beautiful.
3: powder. is that French as well?
1: I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and then to keep that from clumping up, there are little tiny plastic beads, and then uh, the two knobs control, um, again, from the patent, a movable tracing stylus, mm-hmm. uh, although initially it was a
3: joystick, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, basically like an Atari, um, it, but it, it served the same purpose, and it was it, it was um, held together the same way through an intricate system of pulleys and gears that, that moved the stylus either upward or downward. And then if you combine the upward and downward together, you could make diagonals and circles and stuff like that. But it's... If you, it's really tough to describe what's going on in, in an etch a sketch, but there's an, a House of Works article from years back called Inside an Etch a Sketch, where the people at House of Works like took one apart oh, yeah. and photographed it and explained it step by step. And it really becomes much simpler and ruins any bit of magic there is to it when you see inside an etch a sketch, but it's still kind of wondrous, you know, like the engineer in you is like, wow, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like, um, I mean, it's not a negative image, I, I don't think, but. What's going on when you're moving those knobs, uh, there's a stylus that's actually removing, like the screen is coated with this powder. So it's actually Mm. removing powder, not adding something to the screen.
3: Yes, exactly.
1: And of course, if you want to uh, get that away and start a new picture, you just shake that thing up and that recoats the screen once again with that powder.
3: Yeah. So, like, you know how your TV screen always has tons of dust on it, no matter how often you dust it? Sure. So, that's because, like, that dust is attracted electrostatically through an electrical charge to the glass. That's—they take advantage of that same thing— with the underside of the um a sketch and that aluminum dust which sticks to everything like it wants to stick to the glass because i think it's missing some electrons or something and then when you move the stylus through it you're just removing that that dust like you said it's not a negative it's the removal of dust and that's an etch sketch like at its at its core and what's interesting chuck is like that is how an Etch-a-Sketch today works that's how an Etch-a-Sketch worked in 1962 like the uh, two meaning like also sure but that, that, that dude Andre Cassagne said this is how this is going to work and it's, it's basically the same thing
1: that's pretty awesome uh, let's take a break yes we're going to come back and talk about uh, coming stateside right after this <laughs>
0: at purdueglobal.edu.
2: What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The, holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The, make a splash all summer kind of fun. The, I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun.
0: Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. All
3: right, so Chuck, so how did we agree on his last name? I think I'm butchering it still. And I even took years (laughs) of French in high school. I think he said casserole. All right. Andre Casserole. That seems that seems wrong. Yeah, I'm 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 still gonna go with uh, Casson. <laughs> okay, there you go, Andre Casson. Um, he knew he was onto something. Like this guy was an electrician. He was like, "This is a great idea. This is a prototype I made. This is this is worth something." So he um, and Cruz, I guess, funded a trip to the Nuremberg Toy Fair um, in 1959. And uh, it was there that Kasson was walking around saying, check this thing out. It is yours for a mere $100,000, which at the time was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. or I think it was $870,000 today. And that's what this guy wanted for the, for the right to produce this. Um, and every toy maker at the place said no, including a little toy maker called Ohio Art. Um, everybody turned it down and Casson went home from the toy fair empty handed. But he, he didn't give up. He still persisted, but that was a, a big strikeout for him right out of the gate.
1: Yeah, so Ohio Art eventually uh, settles on a number of 25 grand for the rights to make this thing. In the United States, uh, it is mm-hmm. still called Le Cran Magique in France because they had a, a different licensing deal over there from the, from the get go. Um, Mm -hmm. And Ohio Art Company is pretty interesting. It started – did you uh, see that thing? Yeah, I did. Yeah, they started out in 1908, founded by a man named – a dentist named Dr. Henry S. Winsler in Archibald, Ohio. He gets out of dentistry because he's like, hey, man, toys is the future. Toys is the future.
3: (laughs) There's no future in teeth. In in a decade, no one in America is going to have teeth. It's just a, a losing trade to be in is dentistry.
1: Yeah. So he uh, saw the way forward. He rented a, um, a music hall, hired fifteen women, and they were making metal picture frames at first to great great success.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they they use something called the metal lithography, which is a type of printing, and I I think the. Metal refers to like the medium that you're using to print with, like the the like you carve a picture out of metal and you put ink on it and then you print on whatever you want. But they were printing on to metal, like they had like these um, picture frames and pictures that were like a huge seller of a cupid. It was a pair of like oval plates basically, but they were metal printed printed pictures on them of like a cupid hanging out and then the same cupid sleeping and. It's just kind of like whatever. Like these days it seems kind of – it's got a tinge of old-timey creepiness. But in the first half of the 20th century, there were 50 million sets of those things sold in the United States, which is an astounding amount. That's basically every house in America had a pair of this. And that really kind of made Ohio art like a a very viable business. But they eventually got into things like – sand pails and little trucks and that kind of thing. Anything that was printed with metal before the time that plastic toys came along, they were into. So it wasn't a huge leap into the Etch-a-Sketch, but the Etch-a-Sketch was definitely different than anything that they'd ever kind of messed around with before.
1: Did you know I've done metal lithography? No. (laughs) Yeah, it was one of our, uh, in industrial arts, it was, you know, at least at my school, each quarter you did a different medium or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, lithography was something we did one quarter.
3: Do you remember what you printed?
1: Uh, I'm trying to remember what I printed. It's funny. I can remember that because we also one quarter was uh, screen printing. And I remember right. the T-shirts. I did monkeys T-shirts. <laughs> with like the see no evil, hear no evil monkeys? No, the band, the monkeys. They're, they're, <laughs> oh. Their uh, logo with the guitar spelled out uh, as monkeys. Uh-huh.
3: Like, so wow, many. did you draw it yourself?
1: <laughs> no, 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 of course not. Um, but we did metal sheet lithography. I don't remember all of the process, but what I do remember was it essentially was like burning, chemically burning images onto metal plates, and then mm-hmm. that metal plate was used to print.
3: Okay. So so the metal in metal lithography does, it talks about the metal press that you're using to print with
1: like at the end of uh, uh, there may be different processes but in my class we would um, do this thing and apply this like uh, image with like this gel onto a metal Mm -hmm. sheet and use Mm -hmm. this combination of chemicals that would burn that into like make it part of the metal and then all of a sudden you would have a metal sheet with a thing on it like a negative image and then you would use that in the printing process to print a positive image
3: Right, and you could print use that to print onto anything, including other metal, right?
1: Well, hey, man, that's where my knowledge—and again, this was ninth grade me, so I've, I've forgotten a lot of things over that <laughs> time period. <laughs> right. And I'm sure I just butchered that, but that's my one little dance with metal lithography.
3: Well, I'll tell you who would be able to tell us exactly how, you could, um, how metal lithography works. It's anybody who works at Ohio Art, because not only <laughs> was that their bread and butter before the Etch-a-Sketch, it still is today, actually. So so Ohio Art, like, I guess gets in touch with um, Andre Casson and, and either he got in touch with them again or they got in touch with him. I, th- I think it was the latter of the two and said, hey, we heard you're selling this for 100 grand. It's way too rich for our blood. How about either 15,000 or 25,000, depending on who you ask in the future? And Kassan is like, what are you talking about? They're like, just take the money. And so they either got it for 15000 or 25000 which is still substantial. I mean, it was like around 100 k or 200 um, k something like that, depending on which one it was. And Kassan was quite a happy man. There was a, a story where um, the guy who was running the show at Ohio Art and his wife went over to meet Andre Kassan and just kind of have like an initial meeting and like shake his hand and all that and buy the license from him. And Kassan was, like, welcome and had, like, this huge spread of baguettes and champagne and everything at his house, which is pretty cute because he was just, like, this humble guy who came up with a really great idea for a toy and was finally, like, selling it for a wad of cash. Interesting. A little I on the nose. So what, the baguettes <laughs> and champagne? Yeah, but, you know, what are you going to do? Well, when went in France, right?
1: <laughs> so he is, uh, once he's on board with Ohio art, Uh, He gets together with their uh, chief engineer, Jerry Berger, and says, and Berger's like, listen here, Frenchie, you need to drop the joystick. It's all knobs these days. And he said, what is a knob? And he was like, well, let me show you. And he he introduced the idea of um, the same system like you were talking about, but knobs instead of a joystick to move that little line, horizontal or vertical, or Mm. uh, as you pointed out, if you're really talented, you can master both at once you can actually do um well if you're really good you can do very nice curved lines but I'm yeah not beyond rudimentary
3: yeah no neither am i i can make a a line go up and a line go to the left or right yeah we'll, we'll get to i the... can't even make it go down
1: <laughs> we'll get to the art of it um maybe at the end but because there are some serious uh, artists out there doing mm-hmm. some cool stuff uh, yeah. but at any rate Etch A Sketch it was rebranded as Etch A Sketch in the United States Ohio Arts producing them for the 1960 holiday season and they mm-hmm. sold about 600,000 of these um that year which is a
3: That's a lot. Yeah and they sold it for a lot of money too they they um went for sale at $2.99 a piece which is 2564 in today's money yeah. um it, but I mean, if you go buy an extra sketch today, it's between 10 and 15 bucks. So that was a lot of money, especially to sell 600,000 sure. of these things. Especially if you were selling like creepy, you know, metal wastebaskets with a, an unsettling clown painted on it or printed on it, like right, right before this. <laughs> this is a huge there was It was a good move by the people at Ohio Art to buy the license to this thing, in other words. And they say, Chuck, that. It coincided really perfectly with television, so much so that that they believe like that is one of the reasons why Jerry Berger was like, "You need knobs. This thing needs to look like a TV set because that's what's all the rage with the kids right now."
1: Yeah, and he, um, it was one of the first toys uh, to actually do a TV commercial, and so
3: mm-hmm.
1: if it's 1960 and you're a, a, a child watching. First of all, your mind is blown because you're watching a television to begin with. (laughs) It's just like, I can't believe
3: this. I can't (laughs) believe what's going on right now.
1: Uh, Then a TV commercial comes on for a toy, uh, and this toy has animation in it to where, like, they would etch-a-sketch a a little rocket ship, and then that rocket ship ship would animate and take off. And this was like – these kids might have – I mean, keep in mind, kids in 1960 were idiots, but they might as well have been dosed with LSD. Mm-hmm. You know?
3: They just kept fainting over and over again throughout the commercial because they could not believe what they were seeing. Mind's blown. And it's just it's just an Etch-A-Sketch, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's genius. I love it. It is, but it really, I, I think the, the point was, though, that, like, the, the, taking advantage of the novelty of TV and also now having a way, like, if you, like, we just tried to explain an Etch-A-Sketch, over a podcast, prior to TV, if that just gets you come out during like the Little Orphan uh, Radio era, they would have had to have done the same thing. It wouldn't have landed quite as well. The fact that a, a kid could see this happening on their TV screen was pretty awesome. And then also to say, and then you just shake it, turn it upside down and shake it and coat the, the um, glass screen again. And your your drawing is gone forever. Like to be able to see that TV made the Etch-a-Sketch what it was, like, for sure. It definitely ushered it into a um, a position where it could become like a, a, a cultural icon of nostalgia.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, they perfected it by the time they started rolling off in 1960. Um, prior to that, like any product like this, there was a lot of R&D. Um, one of the people who worked there talked about the mountain of red frames behind the factory while they were trying to get it right. Um, and it was such a huge smash hit out of the gate that... Uh as legend has it they were manufacturing up until noon on Christmas Eve just to get them to the West Coast in time for Christmas morning.
3: Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty cool. I mean they really wanted those kids to have those etch sketches. They really wanted that money. <laughs> Should we take another break? Yeah.
1: All right, we'll talk about some uh some ways etch sketches ebbed and flowed in popularity in pop culture over the years. Right for this.
0: at purdueglobal.edu.
2: What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun.
0: Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Chuck.
3: Chuck, I don't know if we said it or not, but from what I've seen, uh, more than 175 million etch sketches have been sold since uh, 1960.
1: And we should point out, we're not just, like, ticking off a list of pop culture references. Like, every time this happened, uh, Etch-a-Sketch sales would go up.
3: Yeah, like the Mitt Romney one increased sales like 30%. I guess everybody was like, oh, Etch-a-Sketch, I forgot about that. I think I'll go buy one right now.
1: Well, they actually branded after that um, Republican and Democrat Etch-a-Sketches, though, didn't they?
3: Yeah, so you could buy a red one or a blue one, but both of them came with a sticker which i'm I'm assuming that they printed on their metal lithography presses of a donkey and an elephant like playing tug of war on the front of the white House lawn,
1: yeah, that's just crazy,
3: it is, but it's also that's smart, you know that's how you that's how you make the the money
1: <laughs> um and then of course, in the movie toy Story from Pixar mm-hmm. uh that was um like one of the characters' name was etch and had the fastest knobs in the west, yeah, and that was uh that was always a very fun uh Character, I think, to see him drawing things out really fast to communicate.
3: Yeah, and you know, you said something earlier. You were you were talking about how, like, despite the fact that it doesn't even have batteries, it, it's had the staying power for you know fifty something years, almost sixty years. It's been around, um, and it's a really simple thing that that the design hasn't changed. And I think even more of a testimony to, you know, the, um, the, the staying power of the Etch-a-Sketch is the fact that they have tried stuff with batteries and, like, wa- like, things that connect to your computer over the years. And nothing has managed to improve on the original Etch-a-Sketch. Like, there was—do you remember the Etch-a-Sketch animator? No, So I, I, I couldn't quite place it either, but I went and watched an old ad. It was big in the 80s, and it was basically like an Etch-A-Sketch, but there was nothing mechanical about it. It was digital. You're creating like a bitmap digital picture, and... um then you'd press, like, I guess, play or something like that, and it would just kind of run it, um, like a, a flip book over and over again. So mm-hmm. your etch a sketch drawing like came to life. But kids were like, Nah, I'd rather have the original etch a sketch because the etch sketch animator went away, and the etch a sketch is still available today.
1: Yeah, I mean, there have been um, other variations, they had the doodle sketch, um, the, the plug and play. Mm-hmm which this sounds like a bad idea. Plug and play allows you to draw on the TV screen. That's just asking for trouble as a parent. Sure. Um and then the mobile app, which I've been playing with today. Oh, how's it going? Well, I mean, what do you think of this picture?
3: Oh, that, that's not bad. It looks kind of <laughs> edgy sketchy, you know?
1: Yeah, so what you can do is it's kind of fun. Um you can you can upload or take a photo um on your smartphone, plug it into the app. Mm-hmm and then it will instantly etchify it. And what I've learned is that it's um, the the more basic, like a picture of your face works much better than something with a lot of stuff in the background. Uh, but it's fun.
3: Right. Yeah, You know, yeah. I like it. I've, I was reading reviews of the app. I didn't try it myself like you, but <laughs> it's uh, it, it did say, like, if it's a basic picture, it'll look way more etch-a-sketchy.
1: Yeah, so my official review is, yeah, not bad. So three stars out of six. Sure, I mean for something that downloaded in thirty seconds and was free, right? I'm going to give it a, a, a half a thumb up. There you go.
3: <laughs> so um, one of the things that uh, that has kind of kept Etch a Sketch alive for like the younger kids. If I read this article about um, Etch a Sketch, and it was right before they sold, so a lot of people don't know Ohio Art doesn't make Etch a Sketch anymore. They sold it to a brand called Spin Master. In, oh, I didn't. No, I didn't see that. Yeah, it's not. It's not Ohio art. Ohio art said we're going back to metal lithography, and that's what they did. So they sold etch a sketch off to Spinmaster. Spinmaster was like, "That's fine with us, baby. Thanks for all these licenses." Um, I mean, an etch a, a sketch a Frozen branded etch a sketches. It might as well just be like a, a printing press for money, right? Yeah. So it was probably a pretty good buy for Spin Master. And Ohio Art was like, this thing is it was great. It was a good run while it lasted. But they also had to oversee it through some really dark times. Because, um, well, for one thing, the, like, I just sketched is it landing with the millennials? I get the impression like it used to um, uh, with the baby boomers. (laughs) That was one thing. Um, And Ohio Art almost went bankrupt because of it. uh, Back in like 2001, they managed to get some more money back into the business and and stay afloat. But part of that also was they had to send the um, manufacturing of the Etch-A-Sketch off to China, which they were really unhappy about because they lost like 35 jobs in tiny little Bryan, Ohio. But eventually like 15 years later, they said you know what we're getting out of the etch-a-sketch business and sold it off to spin master
1: which is a weird name
3: but the but the one of the things it's a little weird ohio art's a little weird too you don't associate ohio with art you know oh uh uh-oh you just don't (laughs) i'll say it again tell that to chrissy hind the black keys no chrissy hind gets what i'm saying for sure um So uh, the thing, the, one of the things though, that is keeping etch a sketch relevant, the the reason why, like if you walk up to like a seventeen year old and say, "What do you think about etch a sketch?" They say, "Oh yeah, I've heard of that." Because every once in a while, you'll see on um, the the internet's a photo or two of somebody who is really really good at etch a sketch, and it just kind of makes the rounds on social media.
1: Yeah, I mean everything from like the Mona Lisa to just like portraits of people to landscapes. Uh, What's really fun is you can go on YouTube and look at time lapse Mm. um, renderings, Etch-a-Sketch renderings, which when you're seeing it done super fast like that, you kind of think like, I I feel like I could do that. But you really (laughs) have to be a a master with those knobs. Like um, what I found is the thing you really need to master to do everything um, that you want to do is being able to retrace well, because as everyone knows – it's not like a pencil. You can't pick it up off the paper and start somewhere else. Right. You have to, if you want to go somewhere else, you have to retrace as closely to that original line as you can all the way back to that point that you want to be at. Mm-hmm. Or else it's just going to look like something you're, that I did, which looks like something a toddler did.
3: Yeah, and I mean, like, that's a, it's a really good point. When you're making a good Etch-A-Sketch drawing, it is all one single line. It's frequently doubled back over, and Etch-A-Sketch artists will use, like, that frame they'll create a line frame around the edges that they mm-hmm. can travel back out to and move around the picture like that. Pretty brilliant. Yeah, there's a guy named um, George the III who's known for some <laughs> pretty amazing portraits of <laughs> Muhammad Ali, Barack Obama, LeBron James. There's a uh, an artist named Jane Labowich, or Labovich, maybe. She okay. calls herself Princess Etch-a-Sketch. She's mm-hmm. done some amazing like architectural detail with it. And then there's a guy named Ryan Burton Who does erotic Simpsons art?
1: There you go. With
3: the Etch a Sketch. (laughs) And all three of them are like really good at the Etch a Sketch drawings.
1: Yeah, the fanfic of uh, Etch a Sketch artists. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And
3: then apparently, if you, when you're very satisfied with your Etch a Sketch and you don't want anything to happen to it, you drill a hole in the back and get the aluminum powder out, and then you lock the knobs to keep them from being turned, then. You have a etch a sketch masterpiece that you can hang in a museum.
1: Oh, so that makes it permanent? Yeah. So when the little uh, so when a kid comes in the museum and rips it off the wall and shakes it, nothing happens.
3: No. No. And I think by law you're allowed to pick up that kid and shake it. Yes, I think so. As long as it's not a baby, don't shake it. <laughs> right, a baby. no, never shake a baby. Come on. Yeah. I would never advocate shaking a baby, everybody. I just want to go on record <laughs> as saying that.
1: There was uh, you know the comedian Nate Bargazzi? No. He has a. He's great. He's got a very funny bit about shaking babies. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Believe it or not. It takes
3: a lot to turn that into something funny.
1: Yeah, he, he did it, man. Good for him. Nate, yes.
3: Nate Bergazzi,
1: huh? Nate Bergazzi, dude. You would love him. He's great.
3: So Nate Bergazzi just became a cultural icon because we did not see him coming up in this episode. That's right. Uh, well, if you want to know more about Nate Bergazzi, you should go check him out on the internet like I'm going to. And uh, since I said Nate Bergazzi, it's time for listener mail.
1: Man, I hope someone tells Nate we're plugging him.
3: (laughs) I'm plugging away.
1: Plugging Nate. Uh, All right, here, I'm going to mention, this is about Jerry and her eating. And this is from (laughs) Kim Cooper. Did you see this, Jerry? She says no. Uh, Hey, guys, I noticed that you often mention what Jerry is eating a lot during the podcast. A lot. I don't know how uh, how close she is to your microphones. Well, I'll go ahead and say that from your side over there, she's about... Five feet?
3: I Like all I have to do is lean in my seat a little bit and I can touch Jerry's miso soup. That's right. You could dip your thumb in her soup. And sometimes I threaten to. (laughs)
1: Uh, I don't know how close she is to your microphones, but I never hear her eating, uh, which is good for your fans with misophonia. But I'm curious why she chooses this time to eat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you guys spend all day podcasting and that's the only time she can fit it in? No. No. Uh, Silly question that popped into my head listening to this week uh, this week after Josh said and there's Jerry eating God knows what mm-hmm. um, anyway guys she's got me interested in trying miso I tell <laughs> her she's doing a great job because I don't know uh, because I know she doesn't get too many shout outs and uh, Josh and Chuck you guys are pretty great too thanks. that is from Kim Cooper
3: thanks Kim that's funny she went all the way around to just basically say I guess what I'm trying to say is I've always wanted to try miso <laughs> yeah pretty much well go try some miso Kim I mean you can buy it at like any grocery store just go get a tub of it, get a big old spoon, try your first spoonful, and go from there. <laughs> right, do you ever eat just miso paste? No. It's good if you're craving something salty and savory oh, and umami. Let's just say, um, it's good, but you can't you can't eat very much of it. I'm just teasing Kim. Like a spoonful is a lot of miso paste.
1: Okay. What, what do you just add that to? Is it an ingredient? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like soups. miso soup. Stuff like that,
3: yeah. But you can just eat the paste. Okay. And live to tell about it. I'm, I'm proof. <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch with us to talk about Jerry, we're always fine with that. Um, you can go to stuffyoushouldknow.com, find out all of our social links, and you can always send us an email. Attention, everybody. We have a new email address. It, Wowie, wow. woo! It is podcast. At iHeartPodcastNetwork.com How about that?
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at
1: discoverpuertorico.com.
2: What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun.